Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Jude Therapist. We have Jason Goldberg, who is a global keynote speaker on future-proof leadership. He is a mental performance and leadership coach for celebrities, changemakers, and CEOs. He is also the author of the number one international best-selling book on self-leadership entitled Prison Break. There's a code in the show notes for that book. Jason has been featured an expert on media outlets, including ABC, CBS, and Fox, and teaching personal growth and business for Mind Valley, the world's largest online education platform for transformation with over 10 million students worldwide. After spending 10 years in technology consulting and co-founding multiple startups, he now blends a signature mix of transformational wisdom, captivating storytelling, practical business mentorship, and belly-busting humor to make personal growth less personal growthy and to leave everyone he meets with at least 5% more joy than when he found him. Jason is a highly sought-after keynote speaker at conferences globally and has shared the stage with some of the world's greatest thought leaders in human potential and peak performance. His mission is to guide you to lighten up so you can level up, and to help you do that, you can get a free copy of his book. Don't forget, follow the link in the show notes. I was so honored and had such a fun time talking to Jason in this week's episode. He is a light. He's hilarious. He's funny. We connected on so many different levels. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Let's get right into it. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have Jason Goldberg on, or as people call him, JG, all over his uh, his comments. JG, you got this. Go you. And and there's something about you that is extremely like uh, energetic and pull and pulling towards like your energy, your smile, and your presence. There's a reason why people are very drawn to you. And uh, I'm really excited to have you on. I know that I, my energy was drawn to you. One, because you're a guy who talks about feelings and like real things, and you don't really yeah. find that often. And uh, and your content's pretty pretty damn real. So before we get into all that stuff, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, well, I mean, I, my name is Jason Goldberg, and now I'm just really freaking honored and grateful, and I, I appreciate that. Like, I really do. And you, you put, I can already tell in just a few minutes we talked before we started this, there's so much sincerity that you bring to this process, which I'm sure is exactly what you bring to your, your therapy practice as well. And, and I love that, man. It's hard to find people who are really dedicated to sincerity and mastery on what they do. And I can tell that that's the way you live. I can already tell that. So thank I you. I really so try. Much. Yeah, no, it's, it's obvious, man. It really is. Uh, and as far as who I am, I'm going to change it. I don't know who I am. I, I'm, I'm Jason Goldberg because my mom called me that and I believed her. That's the only reason that I'm, I'm Jason Goldberg. Uh, besides that, though, I mean, really exactly what you said. It's like the, the best reflection I can get because I always say like my entire premise in life is I want to leave everybody I meet with at least 5% more joy than I found them. And so a reflection of like, hey, your energy feels this or your energy feels that, that's that's showing me that I'm doing the work that I'm meant to be doing. So who I am is a joy activator in the world is who at least I hope to be. And, uh, and that can be, you know, with the barista at the coffee shop or the TSA agent at security, or it could be with my coaching clients or an audience that I speak to and doing a keynote what I don't care the container, but if I have an opportunity to potentially increase people's joy and potentially decrease their suffering, I'm in. That really got me emotional. I love that. You know, when I was, when I was 18, I was studying abroad and I took a Dale Carnegie course that was offered. And something that is like, to me, maybe I just grew up this way. Maybe you grew up this way. And this is something that's part of your nature. Like the simplicity of being kind 
and, and, and really treating people with compassion and just seeing people, just seeing them as people, uh, whether it's a janitor, a secretary, um, the person sitting next to you on a plane, uh, or the grumpy people on, in New York on the, on the, you know, on the subway to me, I've always been taught that simplistic truth, but not everyone knows that. And when I was taking the Del Carney course, like, Oh, smile when you talk, I'm like, of course. So for, for, for that idea of being like a joy activator, or even that 5% more joy, I get so many comments, even for me. And I'm sure maybe you get this too. And I would love to hear what you think about this of like, how do you do that? How is it so easy for you? Yeah. And is, you know, I have other questions I was gonna ask before, but let's get into this. Is it something yeah. that you have found always easy or that you think you have had to work on it or have shifted your perspective to be better at it? Yeah, it's it's a great question, man. and I really, I truly believe that uh, my my ability to to uh, be kind. And my mom is very kind. I was raised by my mom only, single mother, only child, uh, single Jewish mother. We know how this works. She can yeah. hear us all the way in Florida right now, uh, and and so it's it was always just two of us. And she's a very very kind woman. Um, and at the same time, uh, her default was you know stress, sadness, anxiety, uh, you know all of these different things, and so. I really believe that my the way I show up now in the world is actually a result of of kind of a lowercase t trauma. And what I mean by that is, is I was so desperate, not so much with my mom, but I was so desperate to feel seen and heard in the world. And I was, and I didn't have that language as a child, of course, but I, I just always, I was the heavyweight kid. I was the overweight kid. I got picked on a lot. Uh, and I still remember like really specific things that stick out of my head of people just being really mean. And I didn't know why. And I just thought, obviously I'm, I obviously suck. And that's why they're telling me the truth of how shitty I am. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to a place where I had more emotional awareness, more emotional intelligence, I kind of made an internal vow to myself without actually even saying it that I never want anybody that's in my presence to feel as unseen and unheard as I did. And so now it's just like anybody that I come into contact with, I don't care if it's for three seconds or three hours, if they don't leave that conversation feeling like, wow, he really saw me, like he really listened to me, he was really present with me. Like if they don't leave with that feeling, then I did something wrong. And so that's kind of where it came from, man, is I just don't want people to feel what I felt when I was younger. You know, it's so interesting that, you know, as a therapist, I, I, I'm very into like listening to people and, and and being present with people. But personally, I have crazy ADHD. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so funny how in my personal life, one of the reasons it was so hard to fight for my wife to marry me is that our first experience was I thought she was done talking and I walked away. It was mm-hmm. like at a convention or something because I thought she was done. And I'm like, okay, you're done. Look a squirrel, right? I went to like the next the next opportunity, the next hit of that excitement or energy. And it's something that I know that people say, oh, you can talk to anyone Mm. and, or you can make someone feel seen. And for me, it was my childhood Mm. of my brother got all the attention because he was like, quote unquote, the troubled kid Mm. who was like, just the one who was just not, did not fitting in or all the things. And he was older. um, He was a teenager. I was younger. And that was my need to feel seen, right? It was very similar. And I think that that drives me often is to be seen or to help people be seen so that they don't feel unheard, disrespected, or even, and that comes with some caveats. Do you feel that that is something that, that, that nature or that push 
has any downside to it for you? Hundred percent, hundred percent, and and luckily I've had some really lovely humans in my life that have lovingly reflected to me uh, that without being intentional and being aware of of doing that, sometimes I may sacrifice my own time and energy to make sure somebody else is taken care of, and that again it comes directly from being raised uh, by my mom and having to kind of since it was just two of us kind of uh, manage her emotional state, right? Mm-hmm. Being kind of, of course, I wasn't a therapist, but just being there to like hold space before I even knew what holding space was. So being the seven or eight-year-old, seeing mom mm-hmm. having an anxiety attack and having to like really be aware, I became, and, and I, I'm so grateful that, I'm not grateful she had that for her <laughs> sake, but for me, I'm grateful because it trained me to be so in tune where I can see this, like my girlfriend, for example, I'll get on the phone with her on FaceTime with her. And within three seconds, I go, what's wrong? She goes, how do you do that? I didn't even say anything. My face hasn't changed. And I'm like, you don't understand. I was trained un, you know, unknowingly to notice these micro expressions. And so, so the reason I say all that is because the downside of that is that then we can sometimes learn, and I'm sure there's a, a therapeutic uh, uh, evidence of this. We then sometimes learn that managing others' experience is more important than managing our own uh, yeah. or, or just being with our own. Yeah. And so that's a big thing I've had to learn over the years, but I will not say at all that there's not still times where a friend needs me and I'm really in the weeds doing something and I will drop what I'm doing to speak to them, which I think is beautiful to do for friends yeah. when they're really in the shit and they need you, you should drop everything. But to drop everything when it's like not an emergency just because you're worried that they won't be able to manage whatever experience they're going through without you, mm-hmm. that's where it starts getting into some we- weedy territory. Yeah, the word for that, you know, we could call it like people pleasing and things of that nature. But in the end, it really comes from a source of care. Absolutely. Like, and people people put a bad rep on people pleasing as as something maybe protection for ourselves, but really, it's care for others to an extent of passing above ourselves and and looking past our needs for someone else, which, you know, that we can convince ourselves over and over again, how amazing that is. But, you know, to me, there's this terminology I recently learned actually in my own therapy process called an HSP or a highly sensitive person, which I never, because I have ADHD. I always thought my emotional awareness was because of the lack that I had Mm -hmm. and the learning I've had to do to train myself to be more in tune to micro things right? Whether it's facial expressions, tone of voice and body language, or even someone's energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm not even getting to heebie-jeebie stuff, but empaths and highly sensitive people are legitimate things. It's not Absolutely. this like mumbo jumbo from the East. It is a real thing that people, and I love the East medicine and all that kind of wellness stuff is also amazing. Yeah. And uh, for some reason now, all of a sudden the West is kind of getting on board and we're like, what? That existed yeah, for thousands right. of years? Right. Um, but it's like meditation. It takes someone who's like a, like a monk to teach us who makes an app versus it being something yeah. that's been around for millions of years. But that highly sensitive person is someone who is extremely in tune to stimulus. Right. Small eye movements, eye rolls, mouth, everything. And they lock in. And, and also what research shows, actually, it's the other side of, of little T trauma. Because you've had to always be on guard or on, on the lookout, you are constantly, it's like that veteran who has to sit in a certain spot in the restaurant to have an angle of all the exits and all the routes and to protect themselves without even thinking about it. So I love that you have that experience because it does make you a better person to care for others. 
Um, And and that's amazing. I love that. And, you know, a huge part of your story that you have talked about often is your weight loss, right? Mm -hmm. How it used to be like 300 something pounds and you lost like when you started doing that journey, one pound at a time, as you talk about, and all those little things that bring to a bigger result. Did you all of a sudden just like now the confidence came? Was it always there or now you were able to show it with more comfort? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, man. I, you know, and I, and I write about this in, in my book, Prison Break. There, yeah. there, you know, I I really, I really thought wholeheartedly that when I lost the weight, everything would just be better. Mm-hmm. Right. Sadness and depression goes away, anxiety goes away, stress goes away. Cause it's just this physical body. Yeah. That's, if this thing would just cooperate. Everything would be fantastic. And that wasn't the case. That wasn't that unfortunately it wasn't the case. Now, did I did I drop one form of suffering? Sure. But it's almost like when you you lose one sense and the other ones just get more exaggerated. That's what it yeah. felt like. Everything else that I hadn't dealt with, all the other kinds of weight. So I dealt with the physical weight, but mm-hmm. not the emotional weight, not the 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 mental weight, not the financial weight, like all these other weights that I was carrying around. And so there was always a level of um I I always I always liked parts of myself, right? So mm-hmm. I liked that I could make people laugh. I liked the parts of myself that uh um evoked uh, uh, joyful emotions from other people. I love that part of myself, but the rest of the parts I wasn't, I wasn't so keen on. And so it really took this exploration into personal growth, which didn't start for me until 2009. Like I was 29 when I picked up my first personal growth book. I wasn't raised with this stuff. I didn't have access to any of this. It wasn't common language in my house. And so the, the confidence piece was something I had to do a lot of work on and to be able to accept myself. And especially being in this career, like I've had a couple of other startups that were not selling me, right? They were, you know, it was a, a product or a service kind of thing. And so it wasn't until I got into coaching and speaking where I really uh, was tested to be like, are you, are you really okay putting yourself out there? Cause now mm-hmm. if people say no to your, your proposal, or they say, you know, they proverbially say no to your content by commenting something derogatory, you're just not liking it at all. That now says something about me as a human. And so I had to do a lot of work around that to say like, who, who am I doing this for? Is it, is it for self-promotion or is it for self-expression, right? And so I needed to really get clear on what I'm doing is for self-expression. It is none of my business what anybody else thinks of me. And anytime a client comes to me and they say, oh, I'm worried about putting myself out there because I'm worried about being judged. You are going to be judged. Everybody judges everybody. It's what we do. Judgment is the reason that I can go to a hotel and I can uh, turn on a faucet without having to Google how faucets work because I have the experience and the judgment of how faucets work. Judgment is judgment is great because it's how I don't step into traffic and get hit by an oncoming car. So judgment's going to happen. It's just none of my business. And so that's been, I, I say, I always say relationships, like romantic relationships and, and business are the greatest greatest vehicles for personal growth. Uh, And they have tested me in ways that I never imagined possible. Uh, And it's still an ongoing process. By the way, that's one of the reasons why I'm a specialist in relationships and couples. Like that is my focus. I work with couples every day. Uh, And when people, people, individuals with their relationships with self or relationship with others is because of how impactful and and important they are for self-reflection. I love it. Like I, it's, a, I'm obsessed about it. It's, it's something that's a very, and it's interesting by the way, the weight loss, because to me, when, you know, I was very, very skinny growing up mm. unhealthily. Um, I have Crohn's uh, classic Ashkenazi Jew. What can I say? Um, and uh, I have Crohn's and I have, I, you know, I was taking ADHD medication, which is basically cocaine prescribed mm. and I was just not eating enough. 
And in the past couple of years being healthy, I've gained weight and it's messed with my head. So I've never been this heavy, but nothing's wrong with me. And that distinction of the definition that we as people put so much power to our physicality, um, but could be healthy, can be so destructive. And it's so it's so interesting you say the idea that the thing, nothing went away really, or other things opened. It was because that was just an, that was just like a a holding place for excuses or pain. When in reality, everything else was still there, but the focus was like, well, this damn, I would have just lost this pound, or if I could just go up those stairs, or if I can put on these pants, or I can bend over with tie my shoe, or hang out with my kids on the floor, I would just be so much happier. Well, in reality, it's just that's just a conduit for other other reasons. And I love that you say that. So for you, you know, I think this this leads to something that you talk about often, which is like the spark of madness, mm-hmm. right? How how you talk about that idea of it takes a little bit of madness to be successful or to get things done. Can you talk about what that means to you or why that's something that you you really care about, that spark of madness idea? Yeah. And, and that idea came from one of my idols, Robin Williams. You know, he's just somebody who I've just always idolized and grew up idolizing and 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 just to to watch him. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen the clip of him on, uh, you know, inside the actor studio, James Lipton, all that. Yeah, did you ever see the? Are you going to talk about the thing where he where he does the scarf thing and yes, all that the stuff? scarf, yes, yeah. That is one of the most iconic moments of you're like you're crazy, but I, but you're amazing, right, right. And 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 there's and there's so much in that. I mean, there's there's the one message of like, imagine if backstage they told him, okay, Mr. Williams, uh, about 15 minutes into the interview, there's going to be a woman in the front row. She's going to have a pink scarf. You're going to ask her to bring it on stage. And then you're going to do some characters. He would have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not how I operate. Like my madness is responding to what's showing up in the moment. Right. Yeah. And so the, the reason I love him is because it's obvious. It's so obvious. It's even obvious in that clip, if you really watch closely, that he's too much for some people. He's definitely too he much. He saw their some. faces. They were 100%. like- yeah. Some of them are like locked in, like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And some people are like, oh my God, this guy is actually insane. And, and I love that because he doesn't care. He didn't give a crap. And 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 so the reason that that's so important to me, and, and I even have kind of a whole concept around this that's been really helpful for me. Again, almost 99% of the things I talk about are things I had to do for myself. And so now I'm sharing for others. It's not like I'm intellectual and studied this stuff and said, here would be a great concept to make you do blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but for me, I, I kept getting in my head about you know putting myself out there and being this coach or being the speaker and the imposter syndrome and who the hell am I to be doing this? And you got you know Wayne Dyer and you got you know Les Brown and you got all these people that are just amazing. Who the fuck am I? And then it occurred to me, I was dating this woman years ago and she was a huge animal activist. So anytime the circus would come into town in Orlando, which is where I was raised, uh, she would be one of the people out in front of the circus with the sign picketing for the ethical treatment of the elephants. That was like her big thing. And people would come in and they're, you know, they're going to the circus with their kids and they're yelling at her like, screw you, hippie, get an effing job. What the hell is wrong with you? Just like yelling these horrible things at her. They threw stuff at her before. And then she would come home and she would tell me about all this. And I say, how do you do that? Like I would be, I'd be crying in a corner. I'd be in the fetal position. And she said to me, they can yell all they want. The elephants are still being mistreated. And what it brought up for me was that I had become way too attached to titles and to nouns, right? Coach, entrepreneur, speaker, all these things. And what I really need to be is an activist. Because activists don't have time to worry about what other people think about the thing that they're convicted about. 
They don't have time for any of that. Their entire process is to say, I'm going to speak my mind and I'm going to enroll as many people into my vision as possible. I'm going to mobilize as many people as possible around my vision. If you don't share that vision, I don't have time for you because this thing is still going on. And so when I became an activist for joy or an activist against suffering, it's not about me and my ego anymore because I can be worried somebody's going to say something on one of my Facebook posts or one of my Instagram posts and people are still suffering. So it doesn't matter. I love that. First of all, just to back up, I love that clip. It is one of the most, I, I've, I watched that once in a while. One, Aladdin, like just that, and, and Robin Williams is one of my favorite people that's ever lived. If I, if I had to like, know the dinner conversation of who do you want to have dinner with? He's one of the top people because of just that ability to turn on and, and, and bring an energy to a room and, and, a, and a, an atmosphere is unbelievable. Uh, it's why I started watching Mork and Mindy. Like my, my pa was like, watch Mork and Mindy. I'm like, what the hell is that? Is a show when you were a kid? And I started, well, I'm like, this is amazing. He's nuts. Like it's amazing. Uh, but that scene, uh, that scarf thing is just iconic for many, many reasons. And I love that that's like your reference point. And for, for me, something that hit a little, a little home was the idea of when you are selling yourself and people are saying no Recently, I had an opportunity about a month and a half or two months ago to be picked up by a very big production company for something, and it fell through. And it crushed me because I've never had that experience of validation other than my inner circle. And then it felt like, what what is wrong with me? So, for you know the 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 beauty and the knowledge that you've had, you have. How does someone deal with that? That idea of, you know what, they said no. Or I was rejected on a date, something personal, how we can kind of not disconnect, but make a better decision for our thought process going forward. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. So I have a belief when it comes to, you know, quote rejection, because that's an easy, easy word to use for this, Yeah, that, that none of us have ever been rejected for the reasons we think we've been rejected. And so what I mean by that is, is that for me to think, that a, uh, a a woman rejected me on a date or um, or a company rejected me for a job or a client rejected me to, to work together. When I think that they're rejecting me, I am now, let's say the, the person who rejected me is 35 years old. I am now completely discounting the 35 years of experience, judgment, prejudice, bias, perceptions, everything else they bring along with them. I am so narcissistic to think they were born the minute before they rejected me. And this is the only frame of reference they have for anything in life. And so, of course, they said no to that frame of reference. That's impossible. Who knows the thought process that goes through people's heads when they, quote, reject you? Maybe you remind them of somebody from high school that that was a bully to them. For better or for worse, sometimes you meet somebody and you go, I don't know what it is about this person, but I want to be their best friend. And if you really think about it, they remind you of the kid that stuck up for you in sixth grade when somebody tried to beat you up in the lunchroom. Like, mm-hmm. There's just so much that comes along with our life experience to think that the one person in front of us, that we should take it so personally that they are rejecting us. It's an, it's an arrogant way to look at life. And I don't, I don't mean that as a judgment, but it's an arrogant way to look at life to think it's all about me. And so I try to bring some humility to that process. Believe me, it does not mean at all that it doesn't sting if I get what looks like a rejection. But I got to step back on that. And and I actually had just, uh, just the other day in meditation, I had somebody that I was holding something against because I felt like they 
uh, abandoned me in a way, right? Uh, it's professionally, but an abandonment of sorts, a professional relationship. And I kept playing over my head, like, how could they do this to me? I've I've done so much for them. I've served them so well. I've been there for them. So, you know, years that we've been doing this. And 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 they ghosted. They completely went away. And, and this is after multiple attempts to try to you know bring them back into conversation. And so finally, finally, a couple of days ago, and this has been going on for maybe a month now, where every every couple of days it would pop in my head. I can't believe. And every time I would get calm about it again, okay, yeah, it's fine. Oh, I can't believe they did that to me. What what's wrong with them? And finally, in meditation, I I picture this person's face and I said, "You owe me nothing, and I wish you the best." Mm. You owe me nothing, and I wish you the best. Literally three hours later, they emailed me. Now, I'm not saying it's cause and effect, but what I'm saying is there is an energy that we put out in the world when we think we have been rejected. And it's like one of the four agreements with Don Miguel Ruiz, right? Don't don't take it personally, right? Yeah. Don't take things personally. So if if we, and believe me, I'm talking about myself as well, if we could stop taking things so personally, if I could stop taking things so personally, the amount of suffering that I would experience as a result of things not aligning with my preferences would diminish entirely. Yeah. You know, I talk about this often with clients about the idea of personalization, yeah. right? Of the idea of like, oh, they said this thing and it must be bibbidi bobbidi boo. And really it it means nothing. And and then that becomes the the voice that we then internalize and feel so aggressively in our hearts. Um, and I love that idea of letting go, of of apologizing. There's actually, uh, you know, you were talking before about, you know, uh, someone saying, oh, that's act. Um, this is a concept called shadow work mm. or inner child work, depending on what perspective you take. It was it got very popular with uh, the Phil Stutz documentary, Jonah Hill, right? Stutz. And um, I want to be that guy's best friend. Jonah Hill, maybe, but Stutz. Yes. He reminds me of my old supervisor when I was starting off as a therapist, oh, no. a very old nice. school man who was like, just says how it is. And it, like, no filter. And the yep. shadow work is looking at a, a part of yourself that you have not accepted, that you are fighting to prove more than or have been fighting to hide. And it's a part to say, I see you and it's okay. Like you can exist and this version of myself can exist and they don't have to fight against each other. And, and that idea of, of, of accepting something and saying, I forgive you or I let you go or you don't owe me anything doesn't do anything to them because it's in your head. It just lets you accept it and lets you kind of move forward. I, I love that. And, you know, you, you talk about this concept that I, I think is very, very cool uh, about the roles that we play. Even like I know it's uh, you've tagged it on your social media to be one of the, the earlier things up there. But I, I've seen it happen often that you talk about that as, as a concept. that's so such a powerful thing about and I do it differently. I say, like, what do I need? What what do I need from the world today, or what do I need to give to the world today? Yeah. Or yeah. or to my wife, right? What do you need for me? What are we doing today? Um, for you, what roles do you think are a very good perspective we should take as human beings in a day to day kind of outlook? Yeah, it's what's really interesting because because the way I talk about roles actually to the point you just made a second ago, it's actually about depersonalization. Right. So, so the way I talk about the roles is, is for this reason, because because the, the personalization is what makes everything so heavy, at least in my experience. So so this was a concept that that I I, I first said to one of my clients who was uh, who was an actor who was in one of the Batman movies. And so it just occurred to me to use Batman as kind of a, a backdrop. 
And this person was was really struggling with some stuff going on in their career, this, this movie they were trying to get funding for. And so I, I asked this person, I said, okay, imagine uh, that you are the director of Batman, right? And we're going to say like just the Michael Keaton one for, for argument's sake. I always ask people like, which, which is the real Batman? They're like, Val Kilmer, Christian Bale. I'm like, you're dead to me. It's Michael Keaton. There's only one Batman. So and, back. You know, one, back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then somebody screamed one time and I did this live and they said, Adam West. I was like, that's TV Batman. That doesn't count. <laughs> Get out of here. Ridiculous. So, so I say, imagine that you're directing Batman, right? That's, that's your movie and Michael Keaton's your star and you're filming a scene and Batman's doing his Batman thing and he's kicking everybody's butt and doing the thing. And then the scene's over, you yell cut and you're talking to the crew and you're getting ready for the next scene. And you look over and you see Batman pacing back and forth on the set, like looking really stressed out. And he's your star. Like you want to make sure he's okay. So you walk up, you go, Hey man, what's going on? You, you look stressed out. And he goes, Oh man, Eli, I don't know. Like, what if I'm not powerful enough to beat the Joker? What if, what if my tech's not strong enough? What if the people of Gotham die and it's on my watch and their blood is on my hands? How am I supposed to live with that? And you look at him like, what the hell are you talking about? It's like a fucking movie. We're like, okay, but he's your star. You want to make sure he's okay. So, so you have two options here. You can say, okay, Batman, let's figure out how to make your tech strong enough to beat the Joker and save all the people of Gotham. Or you can remind him that he's Michael Keaton playing the role of Batman. You can ask him, hey, just real quickly, we can take care of all those things. But before you just did all that fighting, you just did, where were you? You go, um, oh, I was in the trailer out there. Oh, cool. And and what were you doing in the trailer? Uh, I was putting on this, this outfit. Okay. And what were you doing before that? Oh, I was in the hair and makeup trailer. They were doing some stuff in my face. Okay. And before that, uh, I drove here from my house. I was, I had breakfast with my wife and my kid. Wait a second. I'm not Batman. I'm Michael Keaton. What, what's, what's happening here? And immediately it doesn't mean that Batman's problems don't exist, but having that depersonalization where you can take a step back and say, if I'm not identifying with Batman, I have much more access to creativity to help Batman with his quote issues. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I don't want to just use that as, as a conceptual metaphor kind of thing. For me, I use it. Like I've created an exercise for myself and I do it whenever I need it is when I feel myself getting really caught up, overwhelmed, my thoughts are racing. My, my thoughts are telling me a lot of unkind things about who I am and all these different things. I ask myself, what role am I playing right now? As if I'm in a movie, what role am I playing? And I go, okay, today I'm playing the role of Jason, the overwhelmed entrepreneur that's pissed off that this project is not happening fast enough, right? And I am Academy Award winning level at that. I can play that role all day. And then I sit here and I close my eyes for just a minute and I ask myself, okay, how does it feel right here, right now? If they had yelled cut, that scene's over. I take off whatever outfit I was supposed to put on to play that role. And I'm just here without any attachment to that role. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. The role is there. If I need to go back and film a scene, I can. But in this moment, what does my experience of life feel like? Does it feel more stressful? Does it feel more peaceful? What does it feel like? It's really, it's an inquiry. And a hundred times out of a hundred, I have at least a 5% decrease in the level of stress I'm feeling. Oftentimes it's like an 80% decrease in the stress I'm feeling because I have that little moment of depersonalization to say, I'm not Batman. I actually have my bracelet that I wear. says not Batman to remind me of this all the time. Right. And, and so that becomes the practice. Like how, how often can I get really clear on the fact that anything that's stressing me out is because I'm taking the role that I'm playing too seriously. Mm. You know, it's funny because people make the joke of like saying I am Batman, right? It's like, right. No, I'm Batman. It's like, you know, that's like a thing that people are like, no, I, it's me. Um, yeah. 
I love that. And, you know, and, and to bring it to like a, a mental health terminology, it's called the window effect, actually. Mm. Like a window shopping where you can remove yeah. yourself and see like the scene from from afar or uh, like it's not me. I'm not the one doing it. I'm watching. What would I say if I was watching that perspective? And it, it's so it's such a healthy perspective. I think we get so pulled in and, and kind of lost in that cycle of me and what do I have to do and what is being done to me and all those feelings, all real, all valid, not dismissing that, but then we don't see how to get out of it or we don't see how to solve it or we we think it's a lost cause to even start the process. And, and I, I love that you have a bracelet that's not Batman. I would never expect someone to have that because people want to be Batman because really you love Superman. That's what it is. Okay. I see. I see. That, that's what it is. Yeah, you know, it's funny enough. I'm actually not a DC guy at all. I'm Marvel all the way. I wish my client had been in a Marvel movie so I could have used something else. Uh, but but funny enough, there's actually, I mean, I, I got to get a new one. Uh, there's actually funny enough though, there is a Marvel character that I think is, is a, a very personal growth minded Marvel character. If you, if you'd like me to share, I'm happy to share. I love that. I love Marvel. Marvel's. Do you have a guess? Like, if you were thinking there was one, like that could. Which Marvel character do you think could teach us the most about consciousness? Are we talking a popular Marvel character? Very popular. Yes. Yeah. It wouldn't be like a weird, obscure one that was in. Okay, like, not like a random person. No, 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 no. Are we talking the movies or comics? Uh, either. This person's in both. I don't know. Because of the movies, I would say Tony Stark. It's a good but- guess. But I'm guessing it's not because of your facial expression. Um, <laughs> See, you do you do know how to read facial expression. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, because it's just like how he's progressed as a character is like saying, like, you know, I'm Iron Man, snapping his yep. fingers. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of anyone else. Um, to that, I would say that or Captain America, but those are my two options. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So no, these these are good guesses. So a lot of people say Doctor Strange because he does the all you know the, the oh that's the, good. The good time. Yeah. Sure, but that's not right either. So at least not for me. So so in my mind, and most people would never guess this, even if I gave them 20 tries, to me, the most spiritually evolved teacher in all of the Marvel universe is Deadpool. Now, most people would not think that because of the never think violence. That. But let me tell you why. He is the only comic book character that knows he's in a comic book. Hmm. He breaks the fourth wall in the movie and talks to us. Because he knows it's BS. He knows it's all it's a created reality. But because he knows it's not real, he doesn't use as an excuse to say, well, I guess I'll just go sit on my couch and wait to die. Because, I mean, this is all fake anyways. No. He says, if this is the game that I'm in, if this is the reality that's apparent to me, I'm going to do my best to play at a level of excellence. And he's very convicted about his beliefs. The way he carries that out is questionable, but but he's very convicted about his beliefs. He's not, he's very sincere. Like even in his joking, his joking is a way for him to show his sincerity on the way to avenging whatever he's avenging or, or whatever he's doing. So just this understanding that him understanding that he's in a created reality is a great lesson for us to break the fourth wall and really take stock and say, wait a second. Is this actually real? And I don't mean, is it real? Like, can you touch it? Of course, it's the world of form. But meaning I created this world with, with the judgments or the perceptions or the mm-hmm. or the values or the meaning that I put on it. And so I just I have just as much of a chance to change that meaning and relate differently to the experience that I'm having right now. So Deadpool to me is he's the guy. Plus, I just love Ryan Reynolds. He's dope. You know, we should just Ryan, if you're listening, you have a you have someone who wants to work with you, please. 
now that you just sold Dude, so when i was when i was in yeah when i was in dubai hosting this event a couple of weeks ago i asked the audience at one point we were just doing some like little connection event and there's two thousand people there and i have them turn to the person next to them and ask you know answer a couple questions just to get to know each other and one of them was who would play you in the movie of your life and why and I said, I'll go ahead and start, right? And I said, for me, it would be Ryan Reynolds because, and I just like pointed at myself <laughs> and everybody starts laughing. And I said, that's not nice. Why are you <laughs> laughing at the fact that I said, it's obvious that Ryan Reynolds should play me in the movement of, of my life. So that was when I needed to see my therapist. <laughs> you know, he just bought, sold Mint for $1.3 billion. So I think, you know. Pocket change. I hate that guy all of a sudden. Yeah, I know. I'm Blake Light. Just come on, get it together, dude. Stop being so cool. Uh, but it's so so amazing. I, I never thought of him that way, even though it's pretty obvious once you say it that he breaks that fourth wall and that growth. Um, he's just a weird, you know, just a weird character to th- to think of that. But uh, that's that's awesome. I love that perspective. If you ever want to talk Marvel, call me. Uh, obsessed. Sure. I didn't watch the new Ant Man, so don't ruin it. Um, okay, no, I haven't either. I haven't either. I just have my time. Um, yep. <laughs> You know, one of the last things I really want to talk to you about is you use this terminology like the new norm. And to me, when we struggle with defining our norm, and I think we get so stuck in what is normal and what is not, and being afraid because of that, like, who would expect that you would be at the place that you are working with celebrities, working with big name people and impactors in the world speaking in Dubai, right? If you would expect that the norm would be like, I'm a boy from like Florida and Orlando, like what, what does that mean? Yeah. And I, I think that we get trapped in that conversation and that, and that, that very unhealthy thought process. I love to hear what you believe the new norm or what you mean by that. And maybe why people get so trapped by what is expected or that norm that they think they need to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when I first talked about that, it was it was in relationship to uh, everybody and their and their grandmother during COVID saying, "Better get used to it. This is the new normal. This is everything is going to be different." And it just became this thing where it was like it was this 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 prison sentence. Like this is the new normal. Get you. It wasn't like a positive thing. It was like this horrible negative thing. But but that wasn't the first time that that idea really occurred to me because for me, exactly to your point, you know, I was born in Miami, but I moved to Orlando with my mom when I was two. And I was, I was in Orlando and not just in Orlando, I was in the same one to two mile radius for the next 32 years. I didn't travel anywhere. I had my regular corporate job and there's nothing wrong with any of that, but that was, that was my life. It was just right there. So it's not like I was like, Oh, I've always been an adventurer. And I had, you know, parents who were taking me all over the world and exposing me to personal growth. So of course it makes sense that I'm speaking on stage and doing whatever. I was, I was a tech, I was a tech nerd. I was an IT consulting for 15 years. That that's no clear path from where I was to this. But the, the difference was, is that for the first 29 years of my life, maybe save the first seven years, maybe let's say I didn't have a lot of suffering uh, up to that point. But but for that middle part there, I had this six word, what I call now my six word death sentence. And that was, that's just the way I am. Right? I hate that. So when I would have, you know, but my ex-girlfriend that I was with, I remember one time we were driving on the street and somebody cut me off and I got so angry and I'm like yelling and screaming. And she's like, why do you do that? Why do you get so upset when somebody cuts you off? What's the big deal? And my response that's just the way I am. And it's it's such a it, it robs us of of our abilities to be creative. And this is not about like that you should be something different than what you are. 
It's about it's about succumbing to, acquiescing to a version of you that is not actually the highest version of you, nor is it a version that actually makes you happy. Screw it. It's actually the best version of you. You don't actually enjoy the experience of being that person. So why would you just say that's just the way I am? And so that was something I really had to do a lot of work on. That's a lot about, you know, personal responsibility and all these things that I write about in prison break. So it was, that's a big thing for me. So for me, that whole normal of that's just the way I am. That's the thing I wanted to abolish. Uh, and, and I still have to work on that. I mean, I think we all do this, right? I mean, even if it's like, oh, I'm not a morning person. That's essentially saying that's just the way I am. And I wasn't a morning person. And I, I got to this point in 2014 where I really wanted to start getting up early. I wanted to get up at 5 a.m. Everybody was doing the 5 a.m. club. I was like, I wanted to be going, get up at 5 a.m., go to the gym, all this stuff. And that was so far away from the way I was living my life. And so what I did was for the first three or four days, I woke up at 5 a.m. I stood up out of bed. And then I got back in bed and went to sleep. And then for the next three days, I got up out of bed at five, I put on my gym clothes, and then I went back to sleep. And then the next three days is when I actually got out of my bed, put on my gym clothes and started going to the gym. And so this whole notion of like this binary, I am this or I am that completely negates our entire ability to be creative, evolving human beings. And so whether you have to take little steps or not, just realizing there is no normal. First of all, emotionally, there's no normal. Yeah. Uh, there, There is comparison to what you think is normal, but there's no normal. But for us as humans, there is no fixed thing that we are. We're always in a, you know, the, the growth mindset. We're always in a, a position where we can evolve if we want to. One of my favorite lines, from my favorite books, Alice in Wonderland is one of my favorite books. Uh, the Cheshire Cat is one of my favorite characters. And he says, we're all crazy here, right? When she's like freaking out and she doesn't know where to go. And she's, she's like, she's going, she's going a little nuts and she's screaming and she's getting, and he's like, she's like, he's like, why are you, we're all nuts here. We're, like there's no one's normal. We all have something. So I love that perspective. One of the biggest killers of growth in business in per, and, and personal life is, well, it's always been done this way, yeah. right? That perspective of, well, it's been this way. So why change? And even the 5 a.m. club or even those like adjustments people want to make to their life. My biggest, my biggest thing is try. If it doesn't work for you, you know you tried and you tried to expand your horizons or do something different or flex a different muscle. It didn't work out. But you didn't just say, I'm not going to even try because I'm not a morning person or I'm not a night owl or I don't go to the gym or I don't do this kind of workout or I don't talk to people like that or I would never get up on a stage. Or I would never start a podcast or I would never start my private practice. Like that is just such a, it's holding you back from an opportunity. Put yourself out there. Try. If it doesn't work out, you know, you did. And you can rest easy knowing that you didn't just control your life with black and white thinking, but gave yourself an opportunity to see some light or some hope that could open some door, you know, and, and I love that perspective. I love that, by the way, of getting up and go back to bed. And that, that, that's, that's the way to do it, by the way. That's like the, the, the best way to do it. Cause you showed yourself you could. Right. Well, so you can little... get up. The biggest thing was I don't get up that early. Well, you did get up. Right. Right. Okay. So now what's the next step? Okay. I don't get up and get dressed. Okay. You did that. Right. And you just took it in small increments. I think we all deserve to do that for ourselves. Well, yeah. And that's, that's one of the problems I actually have with personal. I have a lot of problems with personal growth, but the industry as a whole, but, but one of the things is like, it, it has, you have to take massive action. Why? Why do I have to take yeah. massive action? I don't understand it. And I remember talking to, to one of my coaches one day, Steve Chandler, who's you know kind of the godfather of life coaching, an incredible, incredible guy. And I remember uh, talking to him one day and um, he was talking about the fact that somebody was was telling him like, you know, what would it look like for you to create the impossible? And he said, well, what if I just focused on doing the doable? 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that one. That, that, I'll take that. That works for me. Yeah, I think because I, I think like the one, like I said to you when we first started, one of the reasons I like you is your stuff is very practical and real, and not like this theoretical esoteric like ridiculousness. I think a big problem with a lot of self help gurus or experts or coaches is they're talking to people who don't have the access or ability that they have created for themselves to have 17 houses, travel the world and do 80 things at once and have a team do it for you and produce certain things. And they're like, why can't you be, you should be like, like me. And everyone's like, I can't, it's not doable. And that's why I think your stuff is very, very good content because it, and, and and real, because you're like, okay, let's do something doable. Thank you. And I appreciate it. The, the last thing I really want to ask is, you, you know, your whole brand is about that 5% happier or joy. Yeah. For a given person, how and what kind of maybe two to three tips to start that process or even create that in their life? Mm. I think the first thing is to, is to make sure we have a, 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 a definition of joy that works for the person. Because I think that, I think joy, just on the surface, if you ask people, what's joy? They say, oh, it's, you know, when you're just so happy and you just can't control it and you're just bursting with excitement and enthusiasm. I'm like, that sounds like you're medicated. That doesn't sound like you're joyful, which is fine. Medication's great. But, but for me, a big shift for me was to realize all of the flavors of joy, right? There is that big enthusiastic joy. There's also the very contented joy. There's always, you know, there's, there's a peaceful joy. There's a, a curious joy, like, oh, it's so cool that I get to explore this thing. And so for me, that's the first thing. Like, there are tons of definitions of joys, and, and you don't have to pick one. You can literally embody all of them. You can say, I'm open to any form of joy that may come in. So that's, for me, that's step number one. Step number two is to recognize that joy is not something to be created. It's something to be remembered. And, and what I mean by that is, uh, is I say often that there's no such thing as cloudy days. There are days where the sun is visible and there are days when the sun is veiled. Okay. So when you go outside and it's a quote cloudy day, you don't say, oh my God, the sun is gone. Where did it go? I hope it comes back one day. You know, it's just sitting behind the clouds. And so while that doesn't make you super happy, if you were looking to have a beach day, because it's not the the right weather that you want, there's a there's a, a sense of security in knowing where that thing is. Like if I have a family heirloom, if it's in a safety deposit box 5,000 miles away from me, I'm okay because I know where it is. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if my keys are somewhere in my house and I can't find them, I freak the hell out, right? So I want to remember that joy is always there and I want to be open to the possibility that joy will reemerge when it's ready. I don't have to actually do anything sometimes for the joy to reemerge. Just like I can't wave a bat at the sky to get the clouds to move so the sun shows back up again. And so so part two uh, or step two of that is sometimes there's nothing to do to allow the joy to come back besides just being willing for it to come back when it's ready and to know that it's always there. And I really don't mean that in like this platitude self joy is always inside. I really, I literally mean it. Like whatever experience you could possibly have is already in you and it's just veiled for some reason right now. And that's okay. So being patient about the fact that it may come back. Uh, and then maybe the third thing, at least for me, is, again, this depends on what definition of joy you're working with in that moment. But to me, the the absence of suffering is joy, right? Like it's not even, it's kind of like leftover when we remove the suffering. 
So instead of me necessarily trying to figure out how to bring joy out, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't go be around people you love or go move your body or do all these things that are, of course, great and healthy for you. But if I can just challenge the thoughts or learn to be with the thoughts that cause me suffering, that loosening of the grip around my experience is another way that joy just kind of reemerges on its own. So those are kind of some of the things, just thinking through my own process of what I do on a daily basis when I want to experience more joy, those are the ones that come up for me. I, I love that. I think that's, that's super important. I think, you know, it's a very real way of looking at how to add happiness into our life. And and I think that depersonalization and the way that, you know, the role we play and and, and that, that little spark of madness is something that we all deserve and need for ourselves to tap into to see the truth of ourselves. And, and again, Jason, really, I, I really appreciate your work and, and who you are and, and, and what you represent for so many people. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. My pleasure, man. Thank you again for inviting me on. I've loved this conversation. I love your energy. I love what you're about. Uh, it is really super fun, man. So thanks for having me on. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week. And see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast, because we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.